0: Amen and amen. Well, I would uh, encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke. Today we're going to be taking a, a look at uh, chapter 1, and specifically verses 26 through 38. I did not actually intend to be preaching on the Incarnation at the end of the year, but the Lord did, so here we, here we are in Luke in the morning, and of course in Philippians uh, in the evening. But you remember last week we had seen how the Lord had sent the Archangel Gabriel after 400 years of silence, that uh, period between Malachi and Matthew that we spoke of. He had sent him to announce the coming of the prophet who would make straight the way of the Lord, make uh, the hearts of the Israelites turn towards uh, rather redemption and who would be the one who pointed to Christ, the Lamb of God, and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that, of course, was John. So Zacharias, his father, was blessed to hear that message. But an even greater message was going to be given, as we see in these verses, to a young woman in the city of Nazareth in Galilee. But before we read about that message, let's go to the Lord who gave it in the first place, and let's ask for his blessing. Please join me. Great and gracious God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have not left us in the dark. You gave us your word to show us what you were doing, the history of your redemption, which began even after the fall had worked its evil, yet, O Lord, you began that great work that you had been planning in all eternity of redeeming us from our fallen estate. And we see now, Lord, how just as it was necessary for you, the Father, to elect, so it was so necessary for the Son to redeem. But for him to do that, he had to come into the world to be born of a woman born under the law in the fullness of time. And Lord, as we see that happening, help us to be amazed at your providence, your Your wonderful work in history as it unfolded according to your plan. Help us, O Lord, once again to recognize also how much we needed this revelation, how much we needed this redemption that's revealed. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach today. I can't hope to divide your word without your spirit, Lord. I need to know the power of it myself. And I pray I would say nothing that goes against your word. Let me not go astray to the left or to the right, but to cleave to the king's highway. And, Lord, open our ears to hear. I pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 through 38. I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what matter of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever." Last week, as I said, you'll remember how after 400 years of silence, the Archangel Gabriel was sent to a childless priest in Jerusalem named Zacharias to tell him the good news that after so long, when it seemed impossible, that his wife Elizabeth would conceive in her old age and she would not just give birth to any son, she would give birth to the long-awaited prophet The one who would come in the mode of Elijah, who would announce the coming of the Messiah, the blessing of the nations, the one whom the Lord had said to Abraham would come from his own seed. This one would be the son of Abraham and the son of David, but most importantly, he would be the son of God, and now six months later, we see Gabriel again being sent on another mission, this time to announce the imminent birth of the Messiah who would save his people from their sins to the one who would be his mother. Telling her of her part in the redemption, not just of her people, but the redemption of the nations, our redemption, brothers and sisters. She was told that this wonderful thing would happen through her. And this time, of course, the angel was not being sent to Jerusalem. He was not being sent to uh, somebody eminent like a priest in the temple. He was being sent to a backwoods town in Galilee named Nazareth. It's a town so nondescript that it wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, By comparison to Nazareth in the time of Mary, Fayetteville is a veritable metropolis. Nazareth was something like those towns in the sticks where the the only sign that you have actually entered them is you pass you know, this 50-year-old sign with rusted you know, invitations to come visit the rotary and things like that. There's a railroad crossing. Maybe they've got a stoplight or just a stop sign. There's a hot-boiled peanuts uh, sign up there, and, and then you're through. If you blink, you can actually miss it. Nazareth was that kind of town, certainly not the place that you would expect the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come from. Well, actually he would not be born there, would he? He would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but the idea that his mother would be dwelling there, well, that's something inconceivable. But as we'll see, the Lord uses the humble things, the small things to overcome and set it not the great. The Lord loves to use the weak things to overcome the powerful again and, and again. So, He sent to Mary. In the Greek, she is listed as a parthenos, that is a a virgin of marriageable age. Uh, She was probably in her late teens, and she is already betrothed. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, who though he was a descendant of King David as well, he was but a lowly carpenter, a man of of a trade, but not, not an eminent one. Uh, And to marry this humble maiden, Gabriel was to deliver the most important announcement that God had ever conveyed to anyone. This is a world history-changing event. In fact, it is the most important event in all of history, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to do his work of redemption. And so the Lord, using this, this lowly, this humble servant, Uh, We remember that great principle that God resists the proud, but but he gives grace to the humble, and that when we humble ourselves under God, he exalts us in due time. She was about to be exalted beyond measure. And incidentally, uh, I should probably at this point uh, mark out the the title of the uh, sermon is the Annunciation. Annunciation is a uh, fancy theological term, but it's been used by the church for over a thousand years. I thought I would use it again. Uh, It means literally announcement. And, of course, it refers to the announcement of the coming incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ made by the angel Gabriel to Mary. Now, just last week, we saw that there was a prophecy that had been made in the Old Testament. We read it in Malachi that before the coming of the Messiah would come the prophet. And and of course, that was John the Baptist who was being prophesied. One of the principles that I want you to see as we go through Luke. Now Luke doesn't harp on this as much as, as Matthew does. Matthew is particularly written to the Jewish people. And again and again, he wants to say, this was the prophecy in the Old Testament. You remember it. You heard it in the synagogues as kids again and again. This is how Christ fulfilled it. And he does that continuously going back and forth. But Luke wants the people who are reading his testimony to the work of Jesus Christ he wants them to know that this wasn't something sudden this wasn't some something that was unheard of this wasn't something that uh, that God just decided to do at this point in time but rather that he was working according to a plan that had been established before before even time began and that had been prophesied that had been revealed for instance the coming of the Messiah the one who would save Israel from their sins, the one who would be the king of kings and lord of lords, the mighty counselor, the one who we... Needed so very badly that too had been prophesied he who would come into the world was Emmanuel a word literally meaning in the Hebrew God with us God tabernacling with his people and he had also told his people that this Messiah would be born of a virgin unlike anybody else who has ever existed so in Isaiah 714 it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that prophecy was made 700 years or more before Gabriel spoke these words that we just read to Mary. But- It was a sure prophecy. What the Lord had determined he would do, he would not be turned away from. But We remember all of the things had to be in place before that could happen. And now, in the fullness of time, everything is arranged. Everything is ready for Jesus to come into the world. Several times, of course, in the Old Testament, uh, we saw the, the miracle of a, of a married woman who was past childbearing years, who had uh, gotten past menopause. And one of the things that I need to dispel, if any of you still have this in your mind, is that the ancient people didn't understand how human reproduction works, okay? Nothing could be further from the truth. I think they understood it uh, more, and they saw it certainly more than we did. Uh, and living in communal houses, there weren't no secrets uh, about how babies came into the world. And they also knew that a time came when the the regular cycle of a woman stopped and she went through something called menopause. They didn't call it menopause at that particular time, but they knew that there was a point at which a woman could no longer have children. And again and again in the Old Testament, we see the Lord miraculously granting a woman who had gotten past that stage with a pregnancy because she had none. Now the most famous example of that, a woman well past childbearing years being given the blessing of a pregnancy. Which woman was that? Sarah, Sarah. very good, you all are like, there it is. Abraham and Sarah, that wonderful indication, that forerunner, isn't it, of, of what God would do with Zacharias and Elizabeth later on. And so we see here, 700 years later, something else happening, a miracle that we do not see at all in the Old Testament, but prophesied in the Old Testament, namely a virgin conceiving a child. Now, in keeping with what I said earlier, the ancients also knew that didn't happen. If a woman in your family got pregnant, you wouldn't have accepted this is a miracle (laughs) as an answer. Right, would have been your, your answer to her at that point in time. That's going to become very, very important in, in coming verses, so I don't want to uh, labor that. But when the archangel Gabriel appears to her and he greets her in a manner similar to the way that the uh, angel of the Lord greeted Gideon in Judges 6.12, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, it, it seems impossible that an angel would come and visit Mary. And call her, what did he call her? Highly favored one. You remember when, when the angel comes to Gideon in judges, the situation is that Gideon is threshing in a wine press, which was not where you would thresh wheat. Normally you would do that in the open, but Gideon is doing it because he's hiding from the Midianites. And God says to him, mighty man of valor. That's what he calls him through his messenger. And here Mary didn't seem like a highly favored one, just as Gideon didn't seem like a mighty man of valor. She didn't think so. She was troubled at this. She didn't say, well, yes, of course I'm a highly favored one. I'm highly blessed and not even stressed and so on, you know. (laughs) If you'd gone outside, you wouldn't have seen all those ridiculous bumper stickers on the back of her family wagon. (laughs) After all, from the world's perspective, who was Mary? She's just a poor young girl from Galilee. Nothing at all in the estimation of the Roman Empire. Modern identity politics would have put her very, very near the bottom of the oppressed, oppressor scale. She was a nobody in the world's eyes. But you see, favor is not what the world thinks it is. To be highly favored in the world is what? It's to be a celebrity, to have wealth, to have status, to have followers on Instagram and all of those things. To be famous for your own 15 minutes or less these days. But that's not what favor is, brothers and sisters. You need to know this. You really do. Favor is to be blessed by God. Favor is to be known by God and to know God in the way that Mary knew God. She was indeed, of course, most favored among women in a singular way in that out of all the countless billions of women who would be born into the world before and then after this, she alone was chosen to bear the Son of God, to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is uh, an incredible privilege beyond uh, estimation. For Mary would come the seed who was prophesied all the way back in Genesis 3.15, who would crush the head of the serpent, the devil, who would be the mother of the redeemer of all mankind, who would give birth to the one who had created the world. I can't even conceive of what is going on here. It is so miraculous. But her first reactions, note this, in keeping with her humility and her, her humblest state, are fear and agitation, which is, which is normal. It is not the case that ancients lived their lives expecting angels to appear at any moment. Oh, he's arrived! <laughs> what kept you? That's not how she speaks. She is agitated. She is fearful. The first thing that angels have to say when they appear to God's people is do not be afraid because the natural reaction is ah! a supernatural entity has entered into my presence one who i am not expecting one who i am not prepared for and one who seems so so far above me that i am fearful and yet gabriel was not above her was he it's not the angels brothers and sisters who are the pinnacle of creation as i mentioned in prayer earlier it's mankind You and I, it's amazing to think, but the Lord made this creation for for us. And he has been working to create for himself a peculiar people made up of people born on the earth, not made up of angels. Angels are his messengers. But Gabriel assures her she has nothing to be afraid of, for she has found favor with God. And then he tells her, you're going to miraculously conceive, you're going to bring forth a son and his name will be Jesus. And just as Zacharias had been told that his son's name would be John, so Mary was told that her son, in the Hebrew of course it was Yeshua, in the Greek that Luke is writing in it was Jesus. but Either way, it means the same thing. The Lord is salvation would be his name. And so as Christ, it's, it's interesting to think, isn't it? As he was growing up, as he was playing, every time she said his name, she was repeating what Gabriel had said to him. Uh, her, rather, sorry. The Lord is salvation. It's time for dinner. Come on in. The Lord is salvation. You washed your hands, right? The Lord is, you know, and so on. But he literally was. Jesus is great because of who he is. And not just because he's a descendant of of David, but the son of the most high. And because of what he would do, he would accomplish redemption. He would bring salvation to his people. He would bring blessings to all the nations, the entire world. He would free the universe from the fall. Think about that. The world has been afflicted with tornadoes and hurricanes. It's red in tooth and nail. We read about shark attacks because of the fall. And he was going to free the world from all of those things and he would be the inheritor of the throne of David he would be great David's far greater son the one who had been announced to David himself in the covenant that God had made with David in 2 Samuel 7 12 and 13 we remember that the Lord had said to David through Nathan when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever now this is singular as well every other kingdom think about this had come to an end there had been so many mighty kingdoms in world history up until this point the Babylonian kingdom the Persian kingdom the kingdom of Alexander the Great a conqueror par excellence and yet all of them had fallen apart all of them had descended to the dust even the Roman Empire which seemed like it would go on forever that too would fall but this kingdom Gabriel was speaking of it would have no end because it was not an earthly kingdom not a kingdom of men it was a spiritual kingdom headed by the son of God as Jesus himself would say when he was speaking to Pilate Pilate who thought foolishly that he had authority over Jesus he would say to him my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would fight so that I should be delivered not be delivered to the Jews but now my kingdom is not from here And this is a kingdom that would fill the world. It was a kingdom that would be without end. And it was a kingdom that was prophesied in the Old Testament as well, the coming of this kingdom. I want to show you one of the places where it is prophesied. If you would turn in your Bibles to Daniel. Remember, you just go back to the Old Testament, not too far. Find the major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. There's Daniel. Daniel 2. And then starting with verse 33. And the amazing thing is this is a prophecy. Obviously, it's given through Daniel, but it was of a, of a dream that a pagan king had, Nebuchadnezzar. And starting with verse 31, you, O king, were watching, and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The images head. Oh, wait, I want to go down to uh, 34, sorry. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then go ahead to 44. And start reading there, we, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Brothers and sisters, this kingdom that would crush the earthly kingdoms and set them to naught and then fill the world, that kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream and Daniel interpreted, that is the kingdom of heaven the kingdom that Jesus was bringing into the world here. Mary, of course, is overwhelmed by this, and yet she does not ask for a sign like Gideon did to prove the truth of this information, but she does want to know something. She is, as I said, not an idiot. She understands full well, I can't have a baby unless I get pregnant, and that normally involves a man. And I have not known a man. And when she says known a man, she means in the intimate sense. How am I going to get pregnant? And this is critical information. How is this going to happen? Well, the archangel Gabriel with this this holy delicacy says, she will be a child of God, the Holy Spirit. The son will be the son of God. Uh, The Holy Spirit will do this work in your womb. You will be pregnant and it will be entirely supernatural. Note also, he does not say Jesus will become the Son of God, as though this would happen at some point after the incarnation. Uh, There are many who, who have taught that Jesus was an ordinary human being until he was made the Son of God at some point in his development, but rather, he is the Son of God. That is how he will be conceived. This is how also Jesus could be the Holy One, the The infant that she would bear, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the only child who was ever conceived after the fall without the taint of sin, without the stain of original sin. And therefore, he will be the perfect sacrifice, the one who is able to accomplish reconciliation for the others, all those who are human as well, but who have sin both original sin and sins of their their own. And then Gabriel tells her about Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. Why does he do that? Well, he wants to strengthen her faith. Everything that has been announced seems like it's impossible, and yet it is possible because it is of God. And this is something that we need to remember. God is not constrained by the laws of nature. With God, all things are possible. I mean, Gabriel could have told her couldn't he? He could have said, I, I, I serve the living God. I see his glory every day. I see something that you could not possibly imagine in your wildest dreams. Something so glorious in his courts. I see the one who created us, who created you, who created the universe. Think of it, Mary, a billion galaxies, more even. I can't even count them. And yet he governs all of them every single atom and you don't understand what i'm talking about i know humble maid servant but yet every single atom in the universe he is in control of not for one moment does it escape his attention and yet for him it is as nothing so the incarnation this is fairly simple to him it seems impossible, but it's going to happen. And then what happens next is truly amazing. What happens, Mary enthusiastically submits to the plan. And she calls herself, you'll notice in your Bible translation, the maidservant of the Lord. The, the word is actually doulae. Do you know what that word meant? It was a female slave. Like the little slave girl who confronted, uh, or who uh, uh, confronted Peter in the, in the high priest's courtyard the doule of the Lord, the slave of the Lord. And of course, Paul later on would call himself the doulos of the Lord as well. Isn't that what we are? We're the slaves of the Lord bought at a price. But to be Jesus's slave is to be free indeed. And she understood that. She says, let it be as you say. R.C. Sproul used to say, it's not just that we have to believe in God. After all, the demons believe in God. It's that we have to believe God. And she believes God. She believes his promises. She submits. And we need to remember the courage that this showed precisely because of the danger of the situation that she was in. What was about to happen? She was about to become pregnant prior to the wedding. Um, We all know how in the ancient world, how serious that would be. Best case scenario, everyone in the village thinks she and Joseph fornicated. And it's a stain upon both of their names. But of course, Joseph would know that the child in her womb was not his. And the penalty that he could have exacted because they were betrothed, in betrothal engagement, it was, it was a pre-marriage marriage. They were just, the, the ceremony had to happen. But had he exposed her, had he said, Mary has obviously had sex outside of wedlock, what would have happened? She would have been stoned to death. Or at the very least, she would have been driven out of her community. She would have become a pariah from that point onwards and she understood that but she says yes let it be as you say now i need to make a couple of applications before uh, we finish the first is this the importance of the incarnation if you haven't realized how important this is already what is the real importance of this declaration to mary it is as our confession puts it in the Westminster Confession of Faith, section 8.2, and sometimes theological language can be dry and unimportant, but understand this is conveying the most important news that uh, men have ever dealt with. Uh, we read there in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very an eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father did when the fullness of time was come, Take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that the two whole perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator. Let me stress that, the only mediator between God and man. Without this happening... You couldn't be saved. I couldn't be saved. This is the only way. Only the God-man could do what Jesus had come into the world to do. And so this incarnation is of vital importance. Without it, we are all doomed. We are all damned. Without Mary, her pregnancy, and the bringing forth of this blessed child, the blessing to the nations, you and I... Would be looking at an eternity in hell. That is why this is so vitally important. This is the only way that a mediator between man and God could be brought into the world. That is the importance of the incarnation. Now I stress that because sometimes people just see it. Oh, well, it's a nice story, isn't it? The baby Jesus comes into the world, and you know, he's here. and peace on earth, goodwill to men, and so on. No, we need to remember this is the mediator between God and man. How he came into the world, how our salvation was eventually effected. It's not just a snuggly story to tell at the end of the year. It is brothers and sisters, salvation completely unearned, undeserved, brought to us and at the highest possible cost. Now, when we talk about that, the secular world has all of its presuppositions. This is a second application. I, I went to a university, uh, St. Andrews, which at one time was the leading Christian university in all of Scotland. We always used to say, uh, the, you know, it's the, the first university in Britain. Uh, there were two minor universities that tried to claim that called Oxford and Cambridge, but we knew it was St. Andrews, <laughs> dating back to the 1400s. But it was a university that once had trained men for the ministry, a university over which the great Presbyterians, Samuel Rutherford and Thomas Chalmers had once presided. And yet, by the time I attended, It was a university in which in every course, particularly things like moral philosophy, you had to accept that God doesn't communicate via revelation. The material world is all there is. There's no such thing as miracles and angels and so on. And God certainly can't become man. If you accept all of that, then we're willing to listen to you. It's just not in my university or your university or the universities that you might go to where that prevails. But rather the entire world demands that as the starting point. And we must push back and say, no, the record says differently. The record says that no, God did become man for our sakes. That he came into this world. We don't grant all of these essential unbelief factors and accept these things because with the worldling, unbelief is their one unshakable truth a refusal to accept these things. This is because of, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So to the unregenerate, this story is, is just a once upon a time. But it is not a once upon a time. To you who know the power of God, You understand how this foolishness, this stumbling block, is in fact the truth. You who have been freed from the noetic effect of sin, who have had the veil taken away from your eyes, who now see the glory of God and his splendor, who see because you are being saved the power of God, who have been taken from the status of unbeliever to believer, and that was me. Understand this. I I happily went along with the dictates of my university and the classes. I would have been appalled if somebody had said, no, there really is the supernatural. There are angels. There are demons. There is sin, and there is salvation, and there is a savior. I would have rejected that. But it's not me anymore. That's not who I am, because something impossible for man happened in my life. A heart of stone was taken out and a heart of flesh was put in it. Now, I could stand up here and give you a long apologetic proving the incarnation, proving that what the apostles said was right, but it won't convince anybody whose heart is unchanged. You need to understand that. I've grown uh, over the years to the point where I believe that the thing that we need to present to people is the pure, unadulterated Word of God, the gospel message, the words that were inscripturated, that have the power to change hearts and say to people, (laughs) credo ut intelligem, or if we prefer English, believe that you might understand. Your eyes need to be opened. You need to know, friends, and this is my final point. What John said was true. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we, that is his apostles, beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This was the one who came to set us free from sin. Now you can reject that message, and you can go on to hell if you want. But I pray that's not your desire, that your desires have been changed by the working of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray to that end for any here who have not yet closed with the Lord Jesus Christ. You pray as well. As our elder encouraged you, cry out to the Lord. You don't have to come to the front. You don't have to pray a special prayer. I don't have to lead you in words that you repeat after me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the message of the gospel. Let's go before him now. God, our Father, we thank you so much for not leaving us in the dark, but giving us your assurance that your work of salvation in the fullness of time was done. You gave eyewitnesses, Lord, these things. It was not like Mormon myths uh, involving golden plates and giant spectacles and things done behind curtains. None of that. This was all done openly before the very world. And, O Lord... Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees could not deny the miracles of Christ. They tried to attribute them to the devil, but we know better. The devil doesn't change hearts, the devil doesn't cure people, the devil doesn't raise the dead, the devil doesn't bring blessings to the nations. That's the work of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and we're so thankful you brought him into the, into the world to save us. I pray now, Lord, for anybody who has not yet come to him. I once was like that myself, a fool, and, and oh, Lord, following the ways of foolishness that would have brought me sure to hell. But you, oh, Lord, had better plans for me than I had for myself. I thank you for that. And I pray for those who, who are on the wrong path today, that you would bring them into the camp of your own dear son, put them on the king's highway, Help them to see the truth. Open their eyes, Lord.